What's up, Duke fans? Raul Clement here. Just wanted to give you a brief heads up before you started this episode of the Devil's Den podcast. We recorded the episode before Wendell Moore had announced his decision to enter the NBA draft. You'll hear us talk for a while about whether Moore or Trevor Keels will go pro. I think the discussion is still relevant since it concerns the look of next year's team, but I just wanted to give you some context to avoid confusion. Hope you enjoy the episode. What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith, joined here with my co-host, Shu and Raul. we got a special guest today, one of our close friends, Ben Pai, Duke class of 87. Um, we figured since it was K's last year, we've talked a, bit, a little bit about that, but bring him in because he was there for the early days and just kind of see, you know, what, what that experience was like for him, what Duke looked like then and kind of where we're at now. Um, so, Ben, I'll, I'll kind of hand it to you first if you want to just kind of introduce yourself and uh, we'll start there. Yeah, first off, thanks for having me. Um, I listened to this podcast in its previous form when Chris, Adam, John, Steve and those guys ran it. And uh, I know it went dormant for a little bit. I was very excited when you guys, my buddies, brought it back. It's been a great podcast for serious and even casual Duke fans to listen to and, uh, you know, keep up with the program. And I'm honored to be here and I'm happy to be the old guy uh, <laughs> to to uh, to give you the <laughs> perspective from from way on. Uh, I. Uh, graduated in um back in 87 and i guess i fit the duke stereotype in some form because i, I grew up in new jersey right so i was another new jersey person going to duke mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I would say i was a a, a casual fan uh, before i got to duke my first memory of the basketball team was watching the the 1978 championship game uh duke lost to kentucky uh, Jack Givens scored 41. I'll always remember that for some reason. Mm. Uh, but that Duke team, that Duke team was just, um, they seemed like a fun team. They had Jaminski, Spanarkle, Gene Banks, Kenny Denard. And uh, it, I just enjoyed watching them. And, you know, even after they lost in 78, they were still good a couple of years after that. And, uh, you know, I would, I would try to watch them on TV. And they just, it, Duke struck me as a place where, you know, they played hard, but, you know, studied hard, but also played hard. And, uh, and then Bill Foster left, uh, for South Carolina, I believe. And Duke hired this guy named Mike with this long, unpronounceable last name. And a lot of people probably can't relate to this, but they were not very good immediately. Kay had a decent season his first year. I got there in the fall of 1983 and Kay had a losing record at that time at Duke. He was 38 and 47. And I can remember he was no lock to keep his job, which sounds wild. And, you know, even as old as I am, uh, all of my memories of, of Duke really are with Coach K. So it's hard to imagine that, that he was on the hot seat, but he really was. And uh, my freshman year, my, my neighbor, my dorm neighbor, Tommy Emmerich, who lived down the hall, uh, enrolled and he took over the point and Johnny Dawkins moved over to the two guard and we kind of took off. Uh, the, the year before that, Kay had brought in that great recruiting class with Johnny Dawkins, David Henderson, Jay Billis, um, Mark Allery, uh, Weldon Williams. And they had, they had another guy named Bill Jackman that nobody remembers, but he, he transferred after a season and actually had a pretty good career in Nebraska. But 
they took their lumps as freshmen. And when I got there, they were coming off back-to-back 17 lost seasons. So that's not great for job security. But at some point that first year, uh, Tom Butters gave Kay an extension. And uh, the rest is history. But it was, it, it's been interesting to watch the uh, transformation from then to now. What was the like... Um... You know, we see the Cameron crazies now and like I think it's, you know, that time period that you were there is one of the like kind of um, that's where they're like the heyday, I guess. So coming in as a freshman in 83, the program's kind of like in this weird place as a student. What is the like indoctrination piece like of this is what it is to be a crazy. This is how we do this, Um, because that's kind of in the like early formation of like the national recognition, I guess, as a fan base. Yeah, that's a great question. And. It's interesting when you got there, it was made very clear that there were certain expectations. So they had a, a reputation for being a great home crowd. And, um, it, you know, they were rowdy. We stood the whole, they do it now still, but we stood the whole game. Uh, the big thing I remember was how spontaneous everything was. And cheers and chants would, would sort of come out of nowhere and they would be different every game. But there was a clear expectation that you have a tradition to uphold. You've got to make it hard on the, on the opponent. You've got to be loud. Um, and you know, there was a lot of edginess to it. You know, back then when you, when you think about it, we've had, you know, close to 40 years of just great success, but back then we were a lot hungrier, right? We hadn't made any final fours under coach K. We hadn't won any championships as a, as a university. So there was a lot of edginess. There was a lot of hunger. And, you know, I, I think the, I think we were just, just a lot hungrier and louder because of that. And um, did it change for you? Like, as uh, coming in as a freshman, was that like I know? And when you're going through it, it's hard to see it. Looking back, is there a moment yeah. of like, you know, my freshman year was kind of like, eh, we were just doing it. Sophomore, junior year, though, as the team starts to get better, did did that happen, or was it always just this is just what we do, win or lose? So there was a certain expectation that was at pretty high level when we got in, but I can remember as a freshman, the way it worked is you. The doors would open two hours before the game. You would show your ID and there was no reserve seating. So literally you'd get in and you kind of run and try to find the best seat. You know, they were all bleachers and, and you just found the best spot and you parked. And at some point early in my freshman year, I could sort of stroll up an hour before the game and I'd still get a decent seat. The game would still sell out. Uh, we'd still be full, but you could just kind of, you, you didn't have to, to line up too much in advance. And then as, the team got better and we made the NCAA tournament all four of my years. Um, as the team got better, my, my sophomore, junior, senior years, uh, it, it, it got harder to get in. You had to, you had to get there earlier. Um, the beginnings of Shusheskyville probably started in the mid eighties and, uh, it's nothing like it. It was nothing like it is today. You'd see a few tents here and there, and it was basically before the Carolina game. Um, but, those are the beginnings. That's kind of where the seed got planted. Now everything's so organized. You've got an official sign that says Shushevskyville. You've got tests to, you know, see if you can be an official tender and all that stuff. But back then, everything was really informal, spontaneous. We used to bring tennis balls and throw tennis balls across the court at each other during warmups. You know, imagine that today. Like you can, it was almost like a high school game in some ways. And uh, I can remember one game. We're playing William and Mary or somebody and somebody's just, they had a guy who looked like, if you, if you remember the group Hall and Oates, the, not Daryl Hall, but John Oates, the guy with dark hair and, and the mustache. And they had a guy that looked like that. And the guy just, just gave him the Hall and Oates. 
constantly. And it was so bad he had to go to another to the other basket and start shooting. And then in the game, he didn't do anything. Like he just like he got completely taken out of the game. But it, you know, you could you could almost hear people individually back then. So it was just a lot different. You know, pre-censorship crazies. Yeah. 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 And and definitely there were times we crossed the line. And you know, we, we were inappropriate at times. There was, you know, there Lorenzo Charles had had uh had gotten uh nicked for uh stealing pizzas from a Domino's delivery guy. So when the state came, everybody threw pizza boxes on the court. That was pretty tame. Um, but there was other stuff that was a lot worse. Um, you know, Herman Veal at Maryland was accused of pulling down a girl's panties. And so when Maryland came, yeah, yeah. So so they they threw a lot of panties and stuff on the court. So we didn't always and I didn't participate in that stuff. I, I, I sort of distanced myself a little bit. I never painted my face, and I didn't. I didn't do the chance for the most part. I was watching the game, kind of just to see the way you guys watch it. You know, to 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 see what the rotations look like and the substitution. Pa- you know, I was I was too much into the game, but um, we definitely crossed the line sometimes. Um, you know, as far as the edginess goes. For sure. So walk us through a little bit that 85, 86 season. Um, one of our, my favorite videos, I know Raul likes it too, is that like heartbreak to mountaintop talking about transitioning first round loss, 2014 to 2015. Um, that's kind of a little bit of what we're seeing here, right? Like you talked about where, you know, who is this guy losing record 85, 86 season, if you can kind of like in real time, what was that like? Like at certain, at a certain point, you're probably starting to say, Hey, we could do this. And then you get all the way there and then obviously the heartbreak, right? So that would have been my junior year. And it would have been the senior year of Valerie Dawkins, Henderson, and Billis and those guys. And, um, you know, they've gotten progressively better each year. And you could sort of see, you knew they were going to be one of the best teams in the country. I don't remember the exact, basically that season they were 37 and three. What happened was they won a whole bunch of games in the beginning of the year. I want to say 20 or 21 in a row. Then they lost back-to-back games, I think Carolina and Georgia Tech. And then they won every game until the championship came. So basically it was like two undefeated segments, one little, you know, two, two game uh, losing streak and then the loss at the end. So the 37 wins at the time was, was the all-time NCAA record for one year. And um, everybody just played their role. Um, you know, it was a team where all the pieces fit, you know, Tommy was the classic point guard. Uh, he was the setup guy. He he applied great pressure to the opposing point guards, took them out of their games. You know, Johnny focused on scoring. Allery scored inside and out. Henderson, you know, was was the classic kind of um, small forward that we've we've started to to develop over the years. And and Billis was a little bit undersized, but he banged um, in the inside. And then Danny Ferry uh, was a freshman, so he was a guy that that we brought off the bench. And it was a team that just was mature. Um, you know, we, we, we'll talk, I'm sure about the one and done, and we've certainly discussed it at length on this. And the one thing that that team was able to do was develop continuity. You know, the, the way Kay liked to play the aggressive overplay, the help defense. I mean, that's predicated on, uh, you know, knowing each other, it's predicated on communication, predicated on playing together. And so they had, you know, a good three years to do that, uh, which is, you know, time that we don't have today. Um, Dawkins never would have played four years then. Um, you know, a lot of the players back then, if you think about the championship teams, Leitner wouldn't have stayed four years. Grant Hill wouldn't have stayed four years. So um, the continuity, I think, was, uh, you know, that's when you started to see it. And um, they just played beautiful ball. Nobody cared about 
stats. They just kind of, you know, they, they went out and they did it at both ends. So then heading into your senior year, was the feeling kind of like, oh, we missed our chance, right? Or is it like, no, we're here to stay. Like this is, you know, we're this per because we're in that Gonzaga kind of period, right? Like we're in that where you're knocking on the door, you get there and then you lose and you kind of feel like, oh, it's going to be tough for a small school like us to get back here, right? And yeah, you know, th there was a point in time where Kay was known as, you know, the best coach never to win a title. And we, we had gone to, to several Final Fours before he finally broke through and in 91 and um i think the thing about 87 that, that i can remember was i mean i don't think anybody expected us to to replicate what we'd done the year before but you know it's interesting i went back and looked we weren't that bad um when you think about what we lost from the class of 86 dawkins and allery were 2000 point scorers both of them dawkins had like 2500 points he was the all -time he graduated all-time yeah all-time leader uh, Henderson had 1,500. Billis went over 1,000. So that's like 7,000 points from that class. And I haven't looked it up, but I don't know that too many other classes at any school, you know, can say they exceeded that. So that that's a ton of, of experience and, and production that we lost. But, you know, the next year, Tommy uh, was a senior, my senior year, and um, he took over a little bit more of the scoring because uh, he'd been strictly a setup guy for three years. He didn't really look for a shot. And, um, you know, the team ended up going 24 and nine, uh, lost in the Sweet 16 to Indiana. Indiana ended up winning the national championship. So when you think about it, we've had other years with more talent where we didn't go as far. And uh, to me, what, what the 87 year proved was that we could sustain success, right? So I always had a feeling like we could make it back one day. Um, I didn't know that we'd eventually become what we became. But I thought we could get back there at some point. It was reasonable to think, all right, well, one day we can get back to the Final Four. We can maybe have a chance at it. And, um, you know, just in 86, one of the things that I can remember was when you think about that, too, Kay was probably half his current age. And so he was a young coach in his first Final Four. Denny Crumb's on the other side for Louisville. He, he'd already won a championship. Uh, he was a veteran and it just I, I was watching the game and thinking Denny Crum knows how to work the refs. He he kind of went right to the edge and then he stepped back a little bit. And and Kay couldn't quite conjure up, you know, a, a response to that. And uh not to mention they got a little lucky break with Purvis Ellison catching the air ball, not to mention Milt Wagner charged. Um, but they called Bills for the block. But never we'll, forget. Never forget that. Um but, but um, you know, so so I, I just think it's so hard to win that the first time you go to it. And, and you know, I think Kay obviously learned as, as we went and, um, you know, as, as we got to the Final Four and didn't win the championship, and then finally we, we got over the hump. But I felt like we, we would get back. What 87 taught me was I think this can be a successful program for a long time. Was there a moment when you kind of thought – Hey, we might have a dynasty here. You know, I know it obviously wasn't in 86 or 87, but maybe in 88 or 89 when we'd gone to like our third final four in four years. It, it's funny. Like I, I used to buy all the preview magazines and there was one, I don't remember what it's called. It, it was a, like a really big little oversized magazine and they would have the predictions and each year they, and under, they would usually list where they thought the team would end up. And they'd have a little blur, but remember one year with, with Duke, it, it just said Final Four. That's all it said, right? And we, we had a stretch where we went, and this included championships. We went like seven times in nine years. I mean, that's absurd, right? And like you said, we went a few years, you know, three out of four. And um, 
it was, I guess it was frustrating because we weren't quite winning on Monday night. And, and I knew that the format makes it hard. I mean, it's hard to win a national team in a one and out kind of scenario. The best team doesn't always win. And um, there were years like 86, I thought we were the best team and didn't win. And if you think about our title teams, some of them were not the best team that, that year. So it, it can be an arbitrary thing. And sometimes there's luck and, and, and fate and things like that that happen. But um, I guess you can't not feel good making the final four so many times. I, I knew we'd break through. I knew we'd win one or two. I don't know that I thought we'd win five. Um, so I don't know if I thought we'd be a dynasty, but I thought we would be, um, I thought we'd be very good. I'm curious too, and you, you kind of teased it a little bit. Um, graduating 87, you talked about that class of 86, the culture then, obviously it's very different now, one and done. How has that changed for you, like your relationship to the team, to the program, your investment? What's that shift been like? You know, I, th I think, and I'll talk about how I think K's changed and the programs changed and, and how I may or may not have changed. And like, it's, it was just such a different time. Um, back then, K's army influence, I think, was very strong. And there was a period of time where, you know, you couldn't have, well, like, like the black players had pretty short haircuts. The white guys didn't have crazy haircuts. The closest anybody came was Danny Mahar had this sort of modified mullet. But for the most part, you couldn't have facial hair. You had to be clean cut. And, and clearly over time, Kay has relaxed that, right? When, when you think about it, maybe the breakthrough was in 2010 when the team convinced him to let Zubek keep his beard because he looked more intimidating, right? And <laughs> so now guys are tatted, guys have facial hair, guys have braids, you know, it's, it's just hair, right? So um, it, I, I think... I think the program has evolved over time. Um, I think Kay, um, it, the big thing with Kay, I think, is that he's, he's adaptable. And um, he, uh, he's interesting because I think there's a duality with him that, that I see in a lot of interesting people. He's, he's very adaptable. He's also very stubborn, right? So there's certain things that he, he just won't give on. But at the same time, when you think about it, um, you know, he would, he thrived at a time when guys stayed in college four years, he thrived. He got a championship when it went to one and done. Um, he embraced the three point shot when it came out. When you think about the, the 2001 team after Boozer went down, he basically said, all right, we're going to just chuck threes. And, uh, you know, and he was able to, to kind of move with the time. He was forward thinking, I think he embraced NIL. And, and so, the interest, so, so for the most part, I think is, he's been very adaptable. I think he's been very stubborn about certain things, hmm. a short bench. Uh, you know, back in the day when he did more stall ball, it used to drive me crazy, although it usually worked. Um, and, and, you know, sticking to man-to-man -man when maybe his own would work better. So there are certain things he's stubborn about, but for the most part, you know, I think he's been very adaptable. But um, it's just interesting to see how things have changed over the years. I, I can remember, and it's hard to, there's so many things that are hard to imagine now. I can remember Kay used to go around to dorms and frats and he would have little open houses and he would literally just go in and talk about the team and take questions, trying to drum up support for the team. Uh, that, that's unimaginable today. Right? <laughs> when, when he had a, I can remember when he had recruits coming to visit 
during games. He would come out and we'd be sitting there two hours before the game. So there was time to do this. So Kay would come out and address one section at a time. And we'd kind of all huddle close and listen in. And he would say, hey, we're, we're hosting we're hosting this kid named Kevin Strickland today. You know, he's a shooting guard. He's a black kid. He's a good looking kid. Um, you know, so show him a lot of love when, when he's here. So the funny thing was that particular game, everybody's looking behind the bench. And, there, you know, Kevin Strickland was about 6'5". He had the high top fade kind of thing. He had a little mustache and he was light skinned. So there was a young man behind the bench who was pretty well dressed. And, but he was dark skinned, he was clean shaven. And a couple of times before the game, he like stood up to take his jacket off and everybody started cheering for him, <laughs> right? Because remember, this is before the internet, right? All this is, this is mid eighties. The internet didn't exist. We didn't know what these guys looked like. So nowadays guys come and we know what the Rick Whitehead looks like. We know what Dark Lively looks like. We know their life stories. Back then, we didn't know that much about these guys. And so we didn't even know what Kevin Strickland looked like. And everybody's yelling and screaming. And this kid's looking around like, why are they? He finally figured out that they were cheering for him. But um, it wasn't Kevin Strickland. So um, <laughs> just a lot of things like that, that you can't even imagine today. Um, just just going from there to here uh, has been such a transformation. It's, it's, and, and when you think about it, too, I think that the, the basketball program transformed the, the entire university. When, when I got there, um, the, the facilities, um, I, I remember they were shockingly bad to me. Um, and, and um, you know, Wallace Wade Stadium, the football stadium, had a track around it. You know, and I had some friends on the football team, and sometimes we go down in the field and, and just play some touch football and stuff. Imagine walking on the field at Alabama and just playing a pickup game. Uh, you know, there weren't too many places to play uh, – pick up basketball. There were only a couple of gyms and they weren't that nice. And uh, Cameron itself wasn't air conditioned. Uh, it was a sauna in there during games. And, you know, the, like another example, one day I was uh, outside of car gym, which is next to Cameron and the door to Cameron was open and I could hear balls bouncing and stuff. So I just went inside and, um, you know, they were getting ready to have practice and I could see guys, you know, doing things that you would do before practice. Some guys were playing one-on-one, some guys shot free throws, some guys were stretching. And, you know, I was just standing there watching. And then I see coming down the hall, Coach K. And I figure, all right, well, he's going to kick me out of here. And he's carrying like like a film projector and VHS tapes. Again, this was like the mid-80s, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's carrying all this stuff and he sees me and he just smiles and says hello and he keeps going. And you know, nowadays you can't even get to the practice. There was a separate practice facility because they were practicing in Cameron. Nowadays there's, you know, a separate facility. You probably need a, you know, ID and password and all this stuff to get in. It's, and there's no way a random student like myself could just wander up and watch practice. So, um, and, and when you think about the university itself, you know, the, the prestige, um, you know, the money that, it, that basketball has brought in, um, you know, I think it's just expanded a lot of the, it's enabled the university to expand a lot of programs and now it's become really popular, right? So I, I just saw that the latest class, they accepted four and a half percent of applicants, which is insane. You know, 1983 me never gets into Duke today, doesn't have a chance. Um, so I, I think the basketball team had a lot um, to do with that, you know, to, to do with the growth and, you know, the prestige of the school. 
it's an interesting point to thinking about it like that, just what the program like that can do just for the entire university. Um, yeah. and, you know, it's kind of wild, but I guess we'll fast forward. So from 1987 to now, case last year, um, recently just had the team banquet, uh, a lot of cool stuff going on there. Ro, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the award, so I'll kind of hand that off to you. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think a lot of the awards are too surprising, but I'll just go through them. Um, most valuable player that went to Paolo window Moore and Mark Williams. So I thought that was interesting. <laughs> um, split the vote there. I don't know if there was an actual voting process or if that's a cop out, we can talk about that in a second. Um, then going down the list a little bit, uh, another interesting one here that I completely agree with was the uh, contribution to team morale, uh, Theo John. Yeah. I think that's a no brainer. Um, and then uh, a lot of the others are kind of like, you know, indisputable, uh, their best field goal percentage. You're not going to argue that, right? It's a stat. <laughs> Mark Williams, um, best defensive players, Mark. I could have seen that going to Wendell, but it was really between those two. Um, yeah. So what I really wanted to talk about there was what you thought of them splitting the most valuable player that way and who you might've picked if it had just gone to one person. I'll pass it to Shu to see what he's got. I mean, I think reasonably you can make an argument for Mark did it on the defensive end. Wendell did a little bit of both, you know, a lot on the offensive end early, and then that kind of, you know, fell off. But he always did his job locking somebody down. Um, but for me, I mean, I, I love P5. I love what Paulo brought every night, you know, every game. He's going to give us 20. Uh, if it weren't for cramps a couple of times, he might've went for 40, but, um, you know, I think both sides of the, of the ball and all in all, probably Paulo for me. Yeah, I, I would, this has been, I would agree with that too. And when you think about it, he was probably the most consistent, um, of our top players. And, you know, Mark had some games where he sort of disappeared when Dell had some games, where he was really quiet. And, um, I can only remember one or two games where, where Paulo really, sort of fell off, but for the most part, he brought it every night. And, um, you know, it took a lot of the, the opponents, um, you know, their defensive attention. And um, so for me, it, it would definitely have been Paulo. Yeah, I, I think I agree with it in that sense of like just the consistency of not really getting played off the floor a few times, like Mark, um, Dell starting like up national player of the year. And then that post COVID stretch, it just really never kind of found that again. I, I think I would still go Mark despite all that, just because I think the ceiling that he offered us when he was like on his game was just, I mean, the defense was on point, like his offense really, you know, to me, it's like, if I really want to think of it and no one wants to go do this, but go rewatch that final four game right where he's not able to really play in that game and the difference and the impact that he could have um in that setting or if you want a, a happier a memory, go watch the weekend before that you yeah. know and how dominant and good that he was on both ends um so i'll go mark just to be a little controversial but Ro, i don't think you you selected who you got yeah i mean it's interesting because i think recency bias kind of enters in here a little bit with how well paulo played in the tournament Mm -hmm. um, I think there was a lot more criticism of him going into the tournament, you know, uh, especially that last UNC game, he was pretty bad, um, you know, and, but then in the tournament, he was really showed up every game. He was arguably the only guy who showed up every game. Um, I think Mark, 
you know, again, he was the linchpin of our defense, so he should get some credit for that. However, our defense ended up ranked 49th. So how much (laughs) credit do you really want to give him? Does that put him all the way up to most valuable player? Um, But with Paolo, the final impression is a good one. I mean, he was arguably the best player in that final game, whereas Mark had his worst game. So I think that's entering in for me a little bit. Um, I think I probably would have picked Paolo, but it was definitely between those two for me. Um, I think Wendell would be, if there was an award for this, he would be the heart of the team, but that's not quite the same as most valuable player, right? Like Marcus Smart is the heart of the Celtics, but he's not the most valuable player. Jason Tatum is the most valuable player. For sure. For sure. I guess to another way of looking at it is in my head, I'm thinking like what player showed you or got the closest to their ceiling that we think they could have gotten. And to me, that was Mark, you know, if he's the one that got as closest to like the best version of himself, um, Paolo was really good, but I think we could see Paolo at like such a higher level too consistently. Um, same with Dell, but Mark, I mean, during that like kind of two and a half month stretch when he's basically putting up like 18, 10 and four or like 18, 10 and three, that that's about, that's what you want. That's about the ceiling that you want from him. Um, but you know, like you said, there were times we got played off the floor times when the kind of lapses happened and Paulo really turned it on there at the end. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I say, I do think it's a cop out to give it to all three, you know, like there's no, there's no plurals on the end of that, but you know, I'm interested. This is off the cuff, but I was thinking about this the other day. Where does Paolo, because of his NCAA tournament uh, performance, where does he end up ranking for you for kind of one and done players? Because he's finishing a lot higher in my mind than he th- I thought he would a couple months ago. Like he might be fourth or something. I, I know that sounds a little crazy. We've had a lot of one and done players, but I'm thinking Tyus, Justice, Zion. I yeah. think you just have to put Zion up there for the entertainment factor, even though they didn't Way get up the final there. four. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. Those would probably be Number my one. top three. Yeah, he's the most likable guy ever, right? Like, so, right, yeah. Um, Everybody loves him. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on whether you're valuing titles over entertainment or what. But I think those three would be my top three um, with Justice the most likely to kind of sneak out of that top three. Um, and then Paolo would be right below there, or at least in the top five or six. I agree with that. I definitely think top. I'm thinking just like off the top of my head, I'd probably, I, I have Tyus one, like one A to Zion's one B, just because I love how cerebral Tyus was. Um, I have some other guys up there that I really like that are just, that probably other people don't like RJ would probably be right next for me. I'd have Austin in my top five. Um, I know that's kind of a hot take. I loved Austin. You know, I just thought that he'd ever quit. I don't think he was the problem with that team. Yeah. Um, I thought that he was super competitive and obviously he gave us that moment, you know, against Carolina. So that, that counts for something for me, but yeah, I mean, after that, it's probably, it's probably Paolo. He's right there with like a Jason Tatum for me, kind of right that, you know, five, six, seven kind of range. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, Zion to me for sure is up there. Then, I mean, I like I love Justice on that fifteen team. Kyrie just still just I know he didn't play a lot for us, but I mean, even the games he he did play were I know there's two of them that are real memorable: the the Michigan State game and the the Kansas State game. Um, and then Tatum, I, I really liked. I think Josh, you and I were we were big on Harry before he got there. You know, obviously yeah. the 
the the injuries kind of you know got to him but uh and, and jason tatum i think me and you had been talking since he was like a sophomore we we're like oh man there's this kid in st louis like if we Kobe, get this, right? yeah thing, right you know, yeah exactly so um i would say he's in that five six range for sure yeah that, that makes sense yeah and i love jabari too and i think yeah, we tend yeah. to ding him because we had the early exit that year sure um and he was never great on defense but he was very impactful and um yeah, the five, the five or six range seems like it makes sense. And I do think we RJ seems to be forgotten a lot, right? It's because Zion was so great. Uh, but RJ put up numbers that, you know, no the combination of points, rebounds, and assists, nobody ever really did that. Didn't so, miss a game. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and he didn't have any single – he scored double figures every game. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that five or six range probably makes sense for Paulo. I like that Jabari reference, though, because that's an interesting dynamic. Swap Jabari, Parker, and Paolo, and how differently do we feel, like, you know, how we feel about Paolo now. Give Jabari that same team at the four with Mark behind him. Maybe we see something a little different. Instead of playing him in a mill as the four and five. yeah. And then eventually it was just, I think, him as, like, the five, right, with, like, Rodney playing the the four with Thornton and Quinn and Rashid out there just running around. Yeah, I I would have loved uh, the shooting of that team. For this year, though, um, oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It's always one of those things where you look at each team and you're like, if I could just take this part from this team and put it together with this team and kind of do a Frankenstein's monster, we'd have like a juggernaut, right? Like, give the 2019 team the 2014 shooting, give the 2018 team Tyus Jones or whatever, right? But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's always yeah interesting to think about. Trade you Blake's for Andre Dawkins right <laughs> or something, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what if you have a junior Luke Kennard in 2018? You might not have Gary Trent, you know, but you have a Kennard junior Luke Kennard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. you have Gary and you just don't get Duvall late, right? Because that's the like, the one that we added last, I'm pretty sure. So sure, know, I would yeah. roll that line up all day. I don't care what the defense is because we went to zone anyway. Or right? a sophomore so. Gary Trent in, in 2019. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or a senior tray this year. <laughs> <laughs> a senior Zion, yes. Yeah, around and around we go forever. <laughs> yeah, but that's a good segue though. I guess we'll talk about the who's who's staying around and who's projected to kind of to leave. Um, Mark and Paolo obviously have already announced. Um, uh, one of the the ones I think was a little up in the air was Joey Baker. Right, there was a lot of like weird talk going on. He didn't do the senior night speech. Didn't really play at all down the stretch. Um, Obviously, it's you know he announced that recently that he's coming back, which is curious to me because if all of that that was going on was because of this hip injury and you're coming back, it's like, you know, dude, you could have done that in late February, right? Like early March, you could have had that surgery. Maybe you get back over the summer versus now. I'm I'm not a doctor, not a medical doctor. I don't know what the timeline is for that, but I would think what he's having is going to push him into like almost the season started by the time he's playing. I don't know if y'all heard anything else about that or not, but. I wonder if it's easier to like rehab while there's no class going on. Maybe that's a factor there. Um, that's the only thing I can think of. Otherwise, just if he knew it back then, yeah, like you said, why not just you know go for it? I mean, it's not like we were trying to psych out the enemy by making them think Joey Baker might be available. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, he graduated, right? Joey graduated. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, had to have. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll. I was surprised he came back. I thought he would graduate and then go somewhere where he could play more. Um, I don't think he'll play much next year. I love the kid. I mean, I love his commitment. Uh, I wish it worked out better for him. Um, 
I, I guess it's good that he got this COVID year to make up for uh, the year that we uh, burned his red shirt and, and didn't play him much. So um, at least he got that back. Uh, but I did think he would go somewhere else like Alex O'Connell did. Yeah, I think, you know, I would say too, I love having him back, right? Because if he's yeah. coming back, he obviously has the self-awareness to look at the roster and see, um, you know, probably not going to be in this starting lineup. But I also could see a situation where there's not really a whole lot of guard depth. There's not a ton of like bench shooting outside of shoot. And I don't know how much he's going to really play, um, you know, and I think too, it depends on what kind of offense John's going to run, right? Because Joey could be a great guy to just space in the corner if you're running some sets. Uh, you know, motion offense, the role that he was playing in our motion offense is not going to be, you know, Joey's a ball handler is probably not what you really want, right? But, um, you know, I could see some value there, some certainly some leadership, you know, and if depending on what Trevor and Keels do, I guess we'll talk, we can talk, or I mean, Trevor and Moore do, we can, you know, there could be a lot of uh, PT for him, uh, you know, in that kind of like off guard wing spot, but I wonder if uh, I wonder if John can kind of inspire a little bit more confidence in him because you know Kay can be intimidating. Sometimes he's good at getting the best to come out of somebody. Like you know, he takes JJ aside and says, "You can be National Player of the Year. Just you know, buckle down, work on your body, all that stuff." But there's other guys who it seems I don't want to be too critical, but it seems like their confidence was almost crushed by him because he had such a short leash on them and if you know that somebody's like just standing over your shoulder going to yank you if you make a bad defensive rotation or miss a shot or whatever it can be hard to just kind of come out there guns blazing so it'll be interesting if john plays a longer lineup maybe that gives him a little more freedom and he feels a little more comfortable that's a good point and we know john is like really big into analytics too and i think k uh to his credit he kind of talks about like not being too analytically driven, but to me, he incorporates a lot of that, right? We don't take a whole lot of mid-range shots, but he's one of the best coaches in the country at teaching offense. Um, we have like a top five or so offense, regardless of personnel uh, every year. But I know John is a little bit more on the analytic side. So maybe that way, if he, you know, bring Joey in, watch some film and say like, look, dude, you're shooting 29% here. You shoot 48% with this do that, right? Like, just do that. Um, I think that's what we all want is to see Joey shoot, right? Just shoot the ball. Um, you know, he had some good finishes this year, you know, credit to him. If guys close out on you, you gotta, you gotta do it. But it seemed at times he wanted to do that a little bit more than just, just let it go, man. Let it fly. Um, you know, watch some Duncan Robinson or somebody and just be that for us is would be my hope. But, um, I guess we'll talk about Saf a little bit. That to me was kind of a little bit out of nowhere. Didn't really expect that. Also, didn't know that he was graduating in three years, so maybe that explains a bit of it. Um, you know, I guess he's leaving the program. I guess he wants to play more somewhere. Is that fair? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, go ahead, Justin. Go oh, ahead. I was going to say, didn't um, Calipari's son left the Kentucky That's team, and too, yeah. and then. I guess Izzo's kid plays for him still, doesn't he? Uh, but I mean, you know, it is it is what it is. You know, it's not a whole lot of playing time that we're losing there. Yeah, I actually think it's kind of brilliant what he did. So when you think about it, he got to play for his grandfather, the goat, and graduate early, and he's got what three years of eligibility left. Something like that, two or three, yeah, three. and yeah. so 
it, he was recruited out of high school to play at smaller schools. And so I, I feel like he gets the best of both worlds. He gets to play for Coach K's grandfather. He gets to graduate from Duke. And now he gets to go somewhere where he can play. And so I feel like he sort of, and, and he got the extra COVID year too. Um, so I feel like he sort of had his cake and ate it too. So in, in some way, and, and again, you know, to Dustin's point, sure, he wasn't going to play much, but the kid can play. And so he'll, he'll nice find some games. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. got game. And so I, I, I think I, I, to me, it's, it's sort of like this brilliant plan that, that kind of came to fruition for him. I, I wish he could have gotten a ring. That's the only thing that was missing. I wonder if we swap Bates for him, send him down to McKillop down there, <laughs> Davison, and he could play there. Yeah. It's a great school too, but I don't think Davison, they don't have a grad program. I don't think they have grad yeah, school they don't. Davison, yeah. so that That's why Bates came here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, right. he looked better than Blakes, who's a scholarship player. <laughs> like when he got in the game, I, I know it's just you know garbage time and who can really tell. You know, some players look amazing in those last two minutes because nobody's really playing defense. But at the same time, like, he looked totally competent out there. I, I can see him at like a, you know, mid-major, you know, really contributing. Especially in a year or two from now, right? If he's got the, that extra time. But yeah, so best of luck to him. Um, I guess we'll, we'll kind of wrap up and kind of tease it a little bit. So the article, uh, Brennan March basically saying that Duke is expected to lose four. I think that's driven some kind of speculation on who that's going to be. Um, there seemed to be a lot of optimism around Keels for a little while, and now there's some smoke screens. Maybe it's kind of back to just being a, a towing cost. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot about Wendell other than just the expectation is for him to still leave because that was kind of the expectation starting this year. Um, so I guess for you all, is there one that you expect back? And then maybe just a more hypothetical, if you had to pick one, which one would you choose? I mean, I guess I expect Hills back more than more. I mean, more, this was his junior year. Um, you know, it was his first NCAA tournament appearance, but they got to the final four. He won the Julius Irvin uh, award. So, you know, is there a whole lot left for him to prove? Um, not really. You know, would I love him to come back? Absolutely. I think he's, you know, the glue of this team. Like you said, if there was a hard award, you know, that's that's who would give it to. Um, so I'd love him back, but I think, you know, the probability it's, it's leans towards kills probably to me more of coming back. If you look at his kind of draft prospects, he's a six, six. I, I know he's listed some places at six, five, but he looks pretty big. Uh, six, five, six, six, uh, wing, you know, good wingspan, uh, good defender made it, you know, an all defense team in the ACC, um, shot 41% from three, which was a huge, huge improvement. Um, had a pretty solid assist to turnover ratio, proved he could handle the ball, run a team a little bit. To me, that screams 10-year NBA career. Um, so if I'm an NBA team, I'd take a chance on him in the 20s. So if he's cool with that, then he should go. Yeah, and I think that would probably be the upside of where he, he could go when you think about it, right? I don't know that he's a lottery pick. I don't think he is. Uh, he could potentially go in the second round. But the other thing, too, is that, you know, he's young for his age. He's young for his, for his age. He's young for his year. Mm -hmm. And I believe he's close to graduating. Uh, I know he's gone to summer, summer classes every year, so he's probably really close to graduation anyway. Um, and uh, I'm with Shu and, and Roel. I think he should – I think he's gone. 
Uh, I don't, I, you know, I think he may declare and, and keep his eligibility, but uh, I, I don't expect him back. I'd love him back too, but I don't think he's coming back. I think there's a much better chance of, of Keels coming back, especially with NIL. Um, so if, if I had to pick, if I had to guess somebody that would come back, it would be Keels. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think he's more likely to come back. If I had to choose one, I'm choosing Dell for sure. Um, part of it for me is because, and this is going to sound a little bit weird, but if Dell comes back, let's say maybe he doesn't win national player of the year, but maybe he's in that like national defensive player of the year, or he's in that first team all American, he could be the first jersey we've had retired in a long time, right? Because, you know, that's set by the coach. And so K had standards that were pretty strict, rightfully so, but you could meet that standard and with four year guys. Now you really can't. Um, so I'm going to be curious to see if John changes any of that stuff. And I think Dell, you know, he doesn't really fit the mold in your head when you think of jerseys, but I think he does in this day and age. Um, so that would be really cool to see him come back and have an opportunity to kind of get back to the final four, especially if that happens. You know, I think you can maybe see that happen, go up there, but, uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's probably more likely that that Kills comes back. Though, to be fair, um, you know the NIL stuff could work for Dell too, right? If he's on that fringe kind of thing, and he and he's looking at that too, saying, "Look, you know, I have a chance to kind of really do something here, leave a mark, and I could get paid." And to me, the way he is, he don't think he has anything to prove by coming back. But I also don't think he can lose a whole lot either by coming back. Like even next year, I still. You know, if you're in that late first, early second range, and that's kind of where you are as a junior, that's probably where you're going to be as a senior. You know, now a guy like Trevor could come back and have a huge sophomore season and, and jump drastically like a guy like Mark. Um, typically, you don't see that sort of shift because even if you do have big production, then the year starts to weigh, so you just end up being in the same spot anyway. Um, but, yeah, should be interesting to see. I think I saw where the deadline is Sunday to kind of make a decision, so – Typically, Duke lets their guys have their own day. So I would expect if, if we're losing two more, you know, Friday and Saturday to see those pop up. Um, you know, I, I guess we'll we'll see what happens. But it sounds like Keels is really kind of weighing things out. That'd be huge, you know, Roach and Keels back. Roach kills more back would be – expectations would be really high, you know. Then we could slide Dariq to the four, which is where I would love to see him play. But um, – you know, we'll we'll see what happens. I guess I, I don't expect though. I would be surprised if we had guys like that that tested without hiring an agent, just because we seem to really push strongly in the past. And I like that we kind of do that. I think it. Like I think that's jump, a thing. Jump in, right? Yeah. Like if you're like to be committed. So if you're staying, let's go ahead and yeah. stay. If you're jumping in, let's hire that agent. And I think you have to do that as a program now because they can stay in until like late June. That's By June, then, when you're they have to pull back scraps in the transfers, you know, yeah, yeah. there's um, nothing left. Well, one of our big uh, portal prospects, or one of the best portal prospects, already chose a school, right? Um, mm-hmm. So there you go. I mean, that was one of the best shooters on the board. Sorry, I'm blanking on the name. Um, Davis or Kendrick Davis? Kendrick SMU? Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. SMU. Yeah, right. So I believe Pack is still on the board, but you know, those were considered like two of the top guards in the in the uh, transfer porter so it just puts you in a tough spot if somebody's waiting till june remember kellen grady last year right there's pictures yeah. of him as a, as a young duke fan and you know he he signed with kentucky really fast but you know who knows what what, what could potentially have happened well I, i'm pretty confident that we have a contingency plan so we have a plan 
for if they both leave, if only one leaves, you know, I think either way, John is a pretty smart cookie. Uh, he'll have something, you know, and, and I would imagine that there's the, the transfers that we are looking at are probably cool with waiting, you know, to see what happens too, because I mean, I don't want to tutor on home, but it's Duke. I mean, you can get a lot of exposure here. So if you can walk into that role, if it happens, then it's probably worth hanging back and, and waiting to make that decision. Yeah, I think it's pretty telling that PAC has not made a decision yet. You know, yeah. I have to think that there's something there of like, you know, just from all the smoke I've heard of that there's something there where he's kind of waiting to see who's on the roster. And I don't think he's interested in playing with um, – Roach and Keels for understandable reasons. Why would you want to fight for a starting spot? Yeah, no, Whitehead. Senior, but uh, like, kind of in. What do you say? I said and Whitehead, kind of right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, guard roll some. Some I don't know how much, but yeah. Well, and you mentioned Roach too. We haven't talked about him. That there really hasn't been much of an announcement either way. Not that there would be an announcement, but there was a little bit of kind of you know uncertainty about will he stick around or not um i haven't really heard anything in that regard but you know I, hopefully he does <laughs> you know hopefully we got we got Jeremy yeah that, I, I think this we not, he will but is this not like the 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 downside to the you know the trend like it wasn't years ago that when the season ended that you had to worry about all right who all's coming back that you know the underclassmen you kind of looked at it like all right well next year we got this guy and this guy and we're adding these guys and then you know this year this day and age, it feels like you're recruiting your entire team all over in the summer, you know, every guy. And Kay even talked um, about that at the banquet, right? Like he was yeah. intentional about going and saying, we're committed to you. We're not going to the portal except to try to get, you know, a few guys to come in to help man the post or do this or whatever. Um, yeah, I think it's you're definitely going to have, especially with NIL now too, right? You're going to have to yeah. be trying to like help. I know they can't have their hands exactly on it, but I think we'd all be a little naive to think that there's not some sort of um, assistance somehow, right? And in, in connecting that, but yeah, we'll see, you know, hopefully we get all three back, but I think at this point I'd take just two of them. I don't really care which two either, you know, give me two and <laughs> let's roll. Let's roll. Yeah. yeah. Brendan Mark's article you mentioned seemed to suggest that, Roach was almost certainly coming back. Um, apparently, he had considered transferring, which was interesting to me, um, you know, before the tournament. So, the tournament almost sometimes that'll cause people to go that wouldn't have gone, but it might have brought Roach back for us, just that he had a bigger role than he expected, you know, because his role was really in flux all season. He was in and out of the starting lineup, and that he was able to kind of be the star for a couple games there was enough, I think, to make his, him and his family and everybody around him kind of comfortable with his yeah, role this year. So. And there's no competition well, for him at Duke right now exactly. either, right? Like, it is, you are shooed in as the starting point guard at Duke. Like, yeah, and let, let's be honest. I mean, Roach took some punches in the middle of the year, you know, some, some, some plays that didn't go our way that, you know, some people pointed at him. Um, but kudos to the kid because we wouldn't have been – in New Orleans without him, you know, definitely for it. So I, I'm glad he stuck with it. Um, and I'd love to keep him around. I'd, I'd like to have a junior point guard. I mean, have we had a junior point guard since Quinn? Not unless you count Grayson, and I don't really count him as a point guard, but he was de facto a little bit. But Yeah, I mean, we had a sophomore tray, which was awesome um, to have. 
But yeah, it's been a while since we've had, I mean, even a, a returning point guard. This year was nice to even have him as a returning point guard. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Trey was the last one since. Yeah, but before that, it was, yeah, yeah, kind of a revolving door of point guards. The most important position on the floor, right? (laughs) So, you know, hopefully, yeah, you know, and because what Roach did in that second weekend against the number one defense by far, and I think I had saw where, like, Arkansas was technically, like, the number two defense in, like, the last month or so, whatever stretch. Um, And they were good all year, but they were really good kind of at the end. To do that against, if you can do that against them, you can do it against anybody to me, um, especially that no middle. And he was in the middle all night, you know. So, um, you know, I think he would be, I think he could, he could grow a lot too, right? Like if he can combine the, the court vision and the creation with his own ability to finish, we kind of saw that kind of, they never seemed to like mesh, right? He was had that like stretch where the assists were really high, the turnovers were low. Um, but he wasn't really looking for a shot and then he got really aggressive for the shot and we saw the assist numbers and the turnovers not kind of look the same as they did. He puts those together. Um, that's, that's an all American type player, especially at Duke, right? That's just going to be, um, going to be up there. But, uh, so we want to thank Ben for coming on. Um, really appreciate that. You know, it's always cool to kind of hear, uh, hear the early talks of, of the Duke fandom, uh, the growth of the crazies. Um, it's been a season for reflection for, I think, of all of us. I think we're all really excited going into the Shire era. Um, it helps to keep that within the family. It helps that we've all watched him grow as a player, won that championship. Um, I think we all would have selfishly like to see the John and Nolan kind of just manning that to have the 2010 backcourt, but you know, best of luck to him in Louisville, except for twice a year uh, when he plays us. But um, some other interesting news just to kind of hit on it though. We did have the two big commitments. Um, Steve's doing some uh, EYBL stuff, I think. So when he gets back in town, we're looking forward to kind of having him on to talk a little bit more about that. Um, talk a little bit more about the guys coming in and, uh, you know, email us the devil's den pod at gmail.com. We're trying to set up some interviews. So if there's some players, uh, some former players, um, that you'd like to hear from, maybe we can try to get them on. So go ahead and do that. If you like what you're hearing, rate, review, subscribe. Again, we're not doing weeklies, uh, throughout the summer. We're trying to do about two a month, um, unless we get a lot of interviews coming in. So, uh, just be on the lookout for that. And as always go do.